This is the Geopolitics and Empire podcast, and we're speaking with Michael Pento, who is the author of The Coming Bond Market Collapse, How to Survive the Demise of the U.S. Debt Market. He is also the chairman of Pento Portfolio Strategies at pentoport.com. We'll be talking about the coming global financial crisis, the debt bubble, and its endgame. Thanks for coming on Geopolitics and Empire, Mr. Pento. Thank you for having me on, Hervoye. Now, I'm, I must admit that of all themes we cover here on Geopolitics and Empire, the economy isn't my strongest suit, which is why we have guests uh, such as yourself on to break it down for us. But the fact that the global economy is set to pop should be obvious for all except the willfully blind. Wow. <laughs> When I have guests on to talk about the economy, we're long past debating the situation. Uh, it's kind of understood that we're heading for uh, economic doomsday. And I feel each guest has a unique experience to contribute with insights that differ from each other. But before we get into it, I'd like to get your thoughts on the cause of all of our troubles, which you detail uh, in the book. Um, one thing that I've noticed in the West is this growing trend of Marxism. Uh, and many people today are blaming capitalism for our economic economic problems. But in your book, you don't blame capitalism, you lay the blame on central banks and fiat money, among others. So could you briefly tell us your thoughts on who is to blame for this crisis? Well, first of all, uh, Herboye, I mean, you, you say you don't know much about the economy, but I think you know mo most of every more than anybody on Wall Street. I mean, I can't believe that you have come on the show and said that you blatantly believe that the global economy is headed for a recession slash depression or some kind of crisis. That, that's something that most people can't understand. So congratulations on that point. Uh, basically, uh, and this is going to um, be hard to, um, to summarize my book and my theories in, in just a 30-minute interview, but basically uh, the central banks, and not just the United States, central banks around the world, have inserted themselves into markets, into free markets, to a degree that has been uh, now realized to be unprecedented. And, and let me just explain what I mean by that. So in 1913, when the Federal Reserve was formed and uh, codified by Congress, they were uh, given certain powers to help distressed banks that were in need of capital so they would lend to these banks at the discount window at a penalty rate. Now, that was it. They were not involved in uh, the economy. They weren't in involved in the financial system to a great de degree. They weren't in involved in the integral uh, uh, vacillations in the money market. And they certain were, certainly were not at all supposed to be concerned about the stock market. And you fast forward to 2019, uh, uh, where we are today, and it was progressive. We, you know, we broke the gold, the gold, uh, the gold window in 1971, and then in 1987 we had a, a stock market crash, which Greenspan, the then Fed chair, came in and printed a bunch of money and uh, enacted something called the Greenspan put in '87. Then you had the uh, Russian debt crisis. And the Asian debt crisis and the failure of uh, some big hedge funds, long-term capital management, foremost among them in the late 90s, uh, which caused more central bank intervention. Then you had the collapse of the NASDAQ in the year 2000, was more central bank intervention until you had 2008, the Great Recession of 2008, where central banks basically took interest rates to zero percent and left them there for almost a decade not just the united states but 
the Bank of Japan, the People's Bank of China, uh, the ECB, European Central Bank. All these banks lowered interest rate, rates dramatically. Bank of England, National Bank. Uh, all of these banks lowered interest rates incredibly. Uh, and in some cases, in the case of the ECB and the Swissy and Japan, rates became actually negative uh, to the tune uh, to the point now where there's 11, <clears throat> excuse me, 11 trillion dollars worth of sovereign debt around the world that has a negative sign in front of it. So we, we find ourselves at the point today, um, where global central banks have become the economy. And they've, they've done this by, as I've said, artificially manipulating interest rates to an unbelievable and unprecedented low around the world, which did two things. It, 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 it engendered a huge increase in the levels of debt, both in the public and private sectors around the world, and at the same time, created massive asset bubbles in fixed, in fixed income, real estate, and in equities. And that is why I will tell you that the world's situation today is the most tenuous that has ever been. And it's completely predicated upon, based upon, and held together through these massively distorted and artificial low interest rates. And when that ends, that is when the reality check will come to markets. And you might say to me, well, Michael, what will cause interest rates to mean revert? And I will tell you two things. One thing will be a, a recession, a very, a very, a very uh, sharp and deep trenchant cutting recession, which will send uh, debt levels and the sovereign arena through the roof. Um, and that will engender uh, a rise in interest rates and or an outbreak of inflation. So until you have one or the one uh, uh, of either one of those conditions, and they're not mutually exclusive, Hervoye, they can happen together. You could have a, an outbreak of stagflation, which is probably actually most probable. But until you get until you get a recession and or inflation, this illusion can continue. But it is on borrowed time. As you mentioned, there's this huge uh, debt bubble, uh, as well as other bubbles. Some people call it the, the everything bubble. Uh, I, I believe uh, Jesse Colombo of the Real Investment uh, <clears throat> website. Um, and you publish a newsletter, which I just discovered, uh, thankfully, and I subscribed. Uh, and you, in your most recent letter, you detail a number of points of failure uh, in the economy. And just today, President Trump has attacked the Fed, uh, and Trump has said uh, the U.S. Ex is experiencing low inflation. Um, and meanwhile, stocks seem to be slightly rallying again. But, I mean, in the near term, what are some of the key canaries in the coal mine uh, that you're looking at right now? I know in your newsletter, you also mentioned bank failures uh, like Deutsche Bank. I'm here in Kazakhstan, and in the last two years, we've seen multiple banks uh, fail uh, Turkey's financial crisis has threatened Spain's Bankomer, uh, and as well, the Deutsche Bank. Can it, if that fails, you know that can start a chain reaction. So, so I mentioned Deutsche Bank in my latest commentary as well. <clears throat> I mean, that stock was in the one fifty. Now it's uh, barely above six dollars a share, with a massive derivative book, and it's one of the largest banks in Europe, and indeed one of the largest banks in the world. Of course, you had the Baoshang Bank, which collapsed. Uh, and taken over by the Chinese government about a week ago too. That could be the canary in the gold, you know, uh, in the coal mine. We had IndyBank collapse 
in uh, in July of 2008. And at that time, you know, the FDIC chair here of the of the uh, U.S. Uh, deposit insurance uh, chair, uh, Sheila Bear said, hey, there's nothing to see here. There's nothing to worry about. It's an isolated incident, just like subprime mortgages were an isolated incident. But and so on that note, you know, you have uh, uh, at the height of the subprime mortgage crisis in 2008, before the economy fell uh, off a cliff, we had $1.5 trillion worth of subprime mortgage debt. And today you ask one of those, uh, where, where are all the bubbles? Well, today we have $5.4 trillion worth of junk bonds, leveraged loans, and triple B paper. Triple B debt, uh, corporate debt rated just one notch above drunk, uh, junk. And they have no covenants, these leveraged loans. So um, corporate debt's up 40, 40% uh, since the Great Recession. It's a huge amount of, uh, a record amount of debt. It's a record amount of corporate debt as a percentage of GDP. Um, and, and this corporate debt is extremely sensitive to the business cycle. So if you do, if and when the economy does enter into a recession, this debt is going to be defaulted upon. A, a, a massive amount of this debt will be defaulted upon, just like subprime mortgages. And I think it's going to bring down the entire uh, fixed income market with it. That's one of the things I'm worried about here in the United States. Of course, we still have an echo boom in the housing market where home prices are just shy of where they were in 2008 as far as home price to income ratios. Uh, I, be, I believe the peak in, in 2008 was 4.3 to 1. Now they're 3.7 to 1 home price to income ratio. So very, very highly uh, elevated. The normal ratio is, is about two and a half. So uh, home prices are at all record high. Nominal terms, ratio house, uh, of uh, ratio of home prices to income, very elevated. You've got the fixed income bubble. You've got the, the stock bubble, which is the largest in history. Home, uh, if you look at uh, home prices, if you look at bond prices and stock prices, the household net worth as a percentage of GDP is an all-time high, 537% of uh, underlying uh, national income. And then, of course, if you look at just uh, stock prices, stock prices as a their market value in relation to the underlying economy, that is now at 140% which is virtually a record high as well, only eclipsed uh, in 2000, March of 2000. The high of that ratio was 150% or 148 to be exact, 148% uh, uh, total market cap to GDP. The average of that ratio was about 65. So you have all of these uh, massive distortions, not only in the United States, China is a, is a, is a, uh, a huge pile of debt uh, that that nation that nation's total debt has quadrupled since 2007. Their household debt is up 700% since 2008. Uh, you, you have to go over to Japan to see that their Bank of Japan's balance sheet is bigger than the entire uh, nation's GDP. The Bank of Japan owns 80% of all of the uh, ETFs and over half of the entire Japanese government bond market. The ECB has negative rates as well. Um, and you mentioned that many of those banks are in trouble. Italian banks are, are, are basically insolvent. So it's not just the United States that has issues. It's Europe. It's Japan. It's South America. It's, it's China. So uh, the, the world is hanging on. It's precariously hanging on by its fingernails to the notion that asset bubbles can be 
permanently fomented by central banks. And as I, as I said before, if we ever have a recession or if we ever get the inflation that central banks around the world are so desirous of, then the whole charade un unravels and it unravels very quickly. Now, before I ask you what happens uh, after the unraveling, what are your just thoughts quickly on the U.S.-Mexico uh, trade war? Is there a bit of a reality show element to it? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, the, the Mexican trade war is over. I mean, they they, they said that, that there's uh, going to be no tariffs on Mexico. Um, we have to see if the uh, USMCA is ratified by Congress. But that doesn't mean the tariffs are over. Tariffs are maybe the tariffs are over with Mexico because it was never really about um, tariffs. It was about immigration. We still have tariffs on Chinese goods, and we have tariffs possibly coming on. I think very likely coming on European auto manufacturers. So the tariffs are are a problem. But that's you know that to me, uh, Herb Boyer, is a red herring. The the problems that exist in the United in the in the U.S. economy at this juncture uh, stem from the fact that. Trump's tax cuts, uh, and in particular the repatriation and the uh, accelerated depreciation aspect of the tax cuts, they're they're uh, wearing off, and you're lapping some very very difficult comps year over year. So that stimulus is wearing off, and then you add to that the fact that I mentioned that China is is desperately trying to prop up their uh, debt dung pile, um, which is teetering and about to collapse as we speak. And they were responsible for one third of global growth. China was since 2000. So if China, it, it, they have a, by the way, China has a uh, falling um, labor force growth and their productivity growth rates are falling. So China's GDP is very much uh, in duress right now. And if they're responsible, if they were responsible for one third of global gro growth, and they were, and you take them off offline, and then you have the the cessation of the stimulus from Trump's tax cuts, and then you add to that the nine rating. Now, don't forget, rate hikes act with a lag. The Federal Reserve has already enacted nine rate hikes since 2015, and burned about 600 billion dollars of base money supply through its quantitative tightening program. That, that, if you combine those three things, you get the real reason why I believe the U.S. economy and indeed the global economy is slowing. Now, tariffs exacerbate that move, but they are not the primary cause of it. Now, uh, I'm going to have to ask you this question because so many listeners always say, why, why don't you ask the guest about cryptos, you know, and Kim, Kim oh, well, you're going to go there. Okay. Just, just your thought, <laughs> just your thought, you know, Kim.com of mega upload. Uh, he frequently tweets about, uh, you know, this economic collapse, uh, coming and that we should all get into gold and cryptocurrencies, which will spike as people seek alternative uh, safe haven assets. Um, I mean, just what are your thoughts on, on cryptos? Okay. So, I mean, it, briefly, let me give you my thoughts on crypto. First of all, I used to think they were all going to go to zero. I don't think that anymore. I think that Bitcoin perhaps can be someday worth a fair value of maybe uh, somewhere around $100 per unit or below. So I'm very bearish on, on, on cryptocurrencies. And the reason is that 
they are not money. And just briefly, just what money has to be is money has to be something that's rare, indestructible, and very beautiful. That those three things helped. Okay, being being very beautiful is not, of course, paramount, but something that is considered money has to be. Uh, very rare and indestructible. Of course, being beautiful, you can wear it as jewelry and you can trade it and exchange it. it makes it uh, 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 an okay currency. Although that's where you know Bitcoin was supposed to be the better gold because it's a better currency. Although now you can move gold electronically just as fast as you can move cryptocurrencies. But you know when you think about cryptocurrencies, what are they basically? They're basically digital alchemy. I call it digital alchemy, and the reason is it's just a, a string of electronic numbers and letters that you hold on your hard drive in, your pri in, in the form of a private key. It doesn't have to be on your hard drive. It could be cold stored, uh, stored as well. But a private key, 64, uh, a string of 64 numbers and letters is not money because electronic numbers are not rare and they're certainly not indestructible. So you say to yourself, the only time that they have value is in the context of this network which allows you to move these keys, these coins, uh, uh, across a anonymous and decentralized and immutable network. That part I get. But when you have thousands of cryptocurrencies all vying, competing, doing the same thing, they're not rare. Electronic numbers are not indestructible. And then finally, I'll say, you know, I'm not sure if Bitcoin itself or the cryptocurrency community knows what they want to be. I mean, at one time, at one time, the notion was I can move this coin that across the world without a third party's involvement. So it's peer to peer network. It's a, it, it's decentralized. That I get. But then the governments say, wait, we're going to regulate you. And Bitcoin says, oh, great. We want to be regulated. So, I mean, if you regulate Bitcoin, then you're moving money like you're like you're moving, uh, you know, PayPal or Venmo. What's the difference? If it's regulated, it's no longer anonymous. And it's no longer decentralized and it's no longer immutable. So it loses its value, in my opinion. The value for cryptocurrencies will be a very small select number of them. Maybe Bitcoin will be the big winner. Uh, and you can move your coins out of a currency out of a country excuse me without the 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 permission of a government and you know that's worth something but not it's not worth twenty thousand per unit all right so i won't get a bunch of comments now asking me <laughs> you're gonna get so. you're gonna get a lot of comments believe me <laughs> and most of them will hate me yeah so i mean how long can this uh, go on i mean you know some of the when, when i talk about this with people some people have told me i mean this this economic crisis in general has been brewing for years you know people will say that you know my crazy uncle has been talking about economic collapse since vietnam <laughs> in the 1960s others will say that you know for the past 10 20 years you know things have been overall fine life has been good yeah you know they don't worry they, they've uh, some that have been hit by the 2008 crisis they picked up the pieces and got on with life and so you know what would you say to the average person who doesn't follow closely economics and politics who laugh at you know people like us who kind of sound like chicken little for a decade well 
Well, they should laugh at us because, I mean, people say people are permanent Cassandras and say, oh, you know, things are terrible. Get out of, you know, get out of the market. People who always say that are, for the most part, wrong because the stock market, for the most part, goes up. So, I mean, it's not wrong, Pervoyer. It's not wrong to point out the artificial nature and the artificial construct of what central banks have created. It's not wrong to say one day they're going to fail and fail miserably. All those things are true. But it's another thing to say, okay, well, you, you should do then is just short the market and buy gold or buy you know foreign stocks because the dollar is going to collapse. That's what's wrong. Someday that's going to be true. That's, that's, that's the wrong tactic. I've created a 20-point model, how I manage money, a 10, 10 uh, components for the economic cycle. And ten components for inflationary components, and if you know, you know, if you know where to invest your money, depending on upon the economic cycle, and the dynamics of inflation deflation, you'll know where to best put your money, and you'll also, hopefully, that's the plan. Hopefully, avoid these major drawdowns in the stock market like you had in two thousand. You know, the Nasdaq lost eighty percent of its value in the year two thousand, and was underwater for a very long time. And in 2008, the stock market, uh, 2007 to March 2009, the stock market lost over 50% of its value, the S&P 500. So, I mean, if you're in your 50s, 60s, or you know, about to retire, you can't afford another uh, drawdown of half of, of your money. Who knows when it's going to come back? You know, I often laugh at people who tell me, you know, stocks always go up. That's just that's just ignorant to be polite. Um, China. China's market, the Shanghai Composite, peaked in 2007. It's still down 45% from 2007. That's 12 years ago. And it's down 45% in nominal terms. So in Japan, their epic bubble, their hyper uh, uh, credit bubble, burst in 1989. And that market is down 50% in nominal terms. And that's 30 years ago. So, you know, the, the idea you could just buy and hold a bunch of stocks and bonds and foreign, you know, small caps, large caps, foreign stocks, you know, and hold, buy and hold. And someday, you know, you'll be fine because stocks always go up. That's just wrong. That's not true. What stocks do you want to buy? Do you always want to be long stocks? Do you always want to be long bonds? You know, you have to have a little more, since everything today is artificial by its nature, you have to have a little more intelligent and a little more active strategy than just buy and hold in dollar cost average, because that will get you burned, just like it did for the people in Japan, just like it did for the people in China. It's coming here to the United States, in my belief. In, in your book, you talk about the Roman Empire briefly and discussing its decline. And so, you know, what are your thoughts on the decline of the American empire, um, de-dollarization, you know, people talk about de-dollarization, but that seems to be going uh, really slow. And, you know, what do you think, uh, if, if it's going to reach a, a tipping point, because I think still 60% of central bank reserves are in US dollars. And, you know, this this historical process uh, of decline, it, it always happens that, and we see America, the American empire is, is on the decline. You know, a lot of people, I think, get this wrong. Um, so, yes, the U.S. empire is in decline, no doubt about it. Uh, but when you talk about a currency crisis, people always talk about the dollar. 
Well, the dollar is a paired uh, comparison. So you can't just say the dollar is going to go down without telling me what's going to go down against. And then you're going to tell me that the dollar is going to crash against the euro. The dollar is going to crash against the yen. I, I, the dollar is going to crash against the yuan or the renminbi. And this is ridiculous to me. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. The United States is the only central bank that managed to uh, end QE. Uh, the ECB did, ended it uh, not too long ago, but the ECB barely ended QE and is still stuck at a negative deposit rate. So is the, do- is the dollar going to crash against the <laughs> since against the euro? I, I don't know. Is the dollar going to crash against uh, the yen when you have Mr. Kuroda saying that he's going to you know never get out of QE ever in our lifetimes? Uh, and they're stuck. They have a negative deposit rate as well. I mean, is it going to crash against the renminbi? I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that it is going to crash against. That's why I mentioned Rome. So, I mean, when you think of a currency pair, well, there was no real pair with a denarii. So the, the Roman currency, Rome was the preeminent empire for hundreds of years. And uh, there wasn't an active exchange, currency exchange market. So yet Romans experienced inflation, virtually hyperinflation to the tune of a thousand percent per annum at the height of the of the inflation. So, yes, the U.S. dollar will collapse. It might collapse against the Russian ruble because Russia has a tremendous hoard of gold. I mean, maybe it'll go down a little bit against the renminbi because China has a tremendous hoard of gold. But what what the U.S. dollar is mostly going to collapse against is gold. So you can have gold rising in all currencies, even though the dollar doesn't lose its value against the euro. That's my main point. Um, It it all depends on central banks. It it depends on growth rates of, of of economies. But why, I mean, why the notion is that we're going to have a collapse of the of the global economy and the dollar is going to be destroyed? I, I don't quite uh, agree with that. Don't forget what happened last time when the global economy collapsed, the U.S. dollar actually surged in value. And, and admittedly, that was because it was an unwind of a dollar carry trade where people were borrowing in dollars and, and investing in brick countries because the yield was higher and the growth rate was higher. There, that, that's, not, that's not the case today. If we do have another global collapse, perhaps the dollar won't rise to the same degree as it did in 2008. But nevertheless, the, the, the salient collapse in the dollar will be most manifest against hard assets and precious metals. That's, that's my point. And is, are there any other um, final thoughts or important points uh, that you'd like to mention that that I missed? Well, I don't think you missed much. But I mean, in, a, in this short interview, uh, we had nine years of zero percent interest rates here in the United States. We didn't uh, hear from all of the pundits on the major financial networks. Hey, well, nine years of ZERP didn't create any economic imbalances. I mean, if you believe that, then, you know, go out and buy uh you know, go margin up your portfolio and buy uh, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Google. Um, the fact is that nine years of zero percentage rates uh, created massive distortions. This is the first time in the history of uh, glo- the global economy, the history of global economics, 
where we've had virtually zero percentage of rates worldwide for almost a decade. It's never before happened and has created massive distortions in asset prices vis-a-vis the underlying economic growth. And that is going to rectify itself in a very violent and sharp manner. And I manage money for a living and I dedicated my uh, working life to helping individuals preserve their principal while we wait for this uh, cataclysm to approach and then actually protect and profit from its demise. And that's the best we can, that's the best that I can do. And just one more question. I mean, do you think, uh, you know, this is repeated in, in history over and over uh, again, but more times than not, uh, war has been won besides the economic uh, collapse or crisis. Um, do you think, what are your thoughts on uh, potential war? You know, when you have uh, currency wars and then you have trade wars, um, you, you know, sometimes these uh, conflagrations end up in shooting wars. So, When a, when a country believes its sovereign interest is being violated, wars occur. So uh, wars are very difficult to predict, um, but uh, they, they, one thing human history is replete uh, and makes no – there is no doubt about this. Um, every weapon ever made by man has been used and used frequently. And – That includes, by the way, I don't exclude nuclear bombs. So uh, that's a fact. I mean, you, you, you go through from, from when the caveman picked up a bone to the arrow to all the munitions ever invented, these weapons have been used frequently and often with very, very small lapses in history of peace. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, if you if you go through history and you know history, understand history, human beings use their weapons that they've created and they do it all the time. So um, that, uh, I guess that's a horrible note to leave on. I, I pray God that it never happens. But uh, the, the, the invention of nuclear weapons would be the only time in the man's history that they were only used what, to, uh, twice in, in combat. Yeah, just a few weeks ago, I, I'm live, I live not far currently from the principal Soviet nuclear test site where they dropped 500 bombs, and I actually went to visit uh, the test site. I was on the test site where they actually dropped some of the bombs, and yeah, I mean, very fascinating stuff. How can people best follow you online? I know you're on Twitter, and you have a website, pentoport.com. Yeah, so you, so it's uh, pentaport.com is the website. My email is mpento at pentaport.com. Uh, you can call the office here, 732-772-9500. Call us up. We want to talk about uh, your investments. Uh, we have a minimum investment here of around $100,000 to invest in our inflation, deflation, and economic cycle portfolio. Uh, we also have a podcast. It's $49.99 per year. You get all these you know, great esoteric arcane data points that you won't see published in most other places, they're not, certainly not promulgated in many, many other venues, uh, because I give you the truth. My only incentive is to make my clients money. That's, that's it. Um, and I guess the only other thing I can leave you with is that, you know, if they, you know, one, one thing good about, I guess, good about nuclear weapons is that they're used again in history to any great extent, uh, that'll do it for quite a long time.
they can only they can only be used, you know, uh, maybe one more time in, in any kind of uh, uh, great extent. So I, I don't know if that's good news. I don't know if that's good news. And I'd recommend uh, people not forget to go check out your book. Uh, I just finished reading it, and I would definitely recommend it, uh, even if you've you know Thank you. if listeners have read many other books uh, on the economy by many of uh, my past guests and, and, and other analysts, but I would definitely recommend uh, checking this book out. And thanks again uh, for your time, Mr. Pinto. Pervoyer, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.